This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. is the founder of Spread the Vote and Project ID. Uh, she is an amazing lawyer, activist, social entrepreneur. She has built a national organization uh, that helps Americans to obtain the IDs that they need for jobs, housing, and life, and that also let them go to the polls. You guys may recall that voter ID has been one of the ways that we have seen uh, a lot of voter suppression efforts uh, really able to take off simply because people did not have the ID of choice. And when I say of choice, I mean of the choice of the folks who were trying to disenfranchise them. And so they chose the IDs that might be in some ways the most difficult for communities of color to obtain. I want you to give a warm round of applause to Kat Calvin, uh, founder and ED of Spread the Vote. Welcome, Ms. Calvin. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You have me cracking up with that line. Listen, we got to do it. We got to inject some levity into this as well, because this is actually a, a very serious topic. Uh, in the idea of IDs and, and using uh, an ID card to confirm who you are for voting, it seems really innocent. Like, you know, I have to show an ID to get on the plane. I have to have an ID to drive a car. There are a lot of people out there who say, Larie, what is the big deal with having an ID for voting? This shouldn't be a thing. You have to have an ID to do practically anything in this country. Kat, what are people who ask that question missing about the complexities of voter ID? I mean, the thing that people don't know, and it's not their fault, it's the thing that's not said very often, is that there are over 21 million eligible voters in this country who don't have an ID. And so they can't get on a plane or drive a car or get a job or find beds and shelters often or foods and food and many food banks, et cetera. So they have a lot of issues because they don't have ID. But voting is a constitutional right, and they absolutely should not be banned from voting because they don't have an ID. Uh, you know, so it's a two-pronged problem. We have tens of millions of adults in this country who just need an ID to live and don't have it, and we could alleviate poverty and homelessness and so wow. many other issues if we just did like every other developed country on the planet and gave everybody an ID. But if we're not going to do that, which we're obviously not because we don't care about poverty in this country, then we cannot say, oh, on top of not being able to get a job or a place to live or have food for your children, also you can't fulfill your constitutional right to vote because we want to make sure that you can't vote for people who would want you to have those things. Now, let's talk, break this down just a little bit, because you just said a whole heck of a lot in less than two minutes. It's extraordinarily <laughs> impressive. But you mentioned that there are millions of people who need an ID just to live that they do not currently have. Now, I have an ID. I've got a passport. I've got a driver's license. It's hard for me to imagine. Well, it would be had I not done some research, but it might be hard for me to imagine <laughs> what possibly, uh, how is it that people who need IDs, uh, what areas could they possibly need? an ID for that they do not have. Talk to us about what it means to need an ID just for living purposes and to not have one. How does that, what does that look like? For those people who have IDs, it might be hard for them to even imagine what that means. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard for, for a lot of us because the fact is, you know, about 89% of people in this country have ID, which is kind of miraculous. Like if you've ever been to the DMV, 
the fact that any of us make it through that process and get out <laughs> with the thing we went in for is unbelievable. And it's a real sign of this privilege and rare patience of Americans that any of us have an ID. But if you imagine that you are a returning citizen or you are homeless or you have a disability or all of these other things that make going to the DMV and having the huge stack of paperwork you need, having the money, you know, all of those things to get an ID, then it starts to make sense like, oh, it actually makes sense that there's a good 10, 11% of people in this country who can't get that. And if you think about the things that make it possible for us to have that, when you get a job, you need an ID, right? Like legally, you have to have an ID to be able to get all the paperwork to get a job and have them take taxes, etc. When you want housing, whether it's an apartment or if you want, you know, housing placements because you are homeless and you need help getting into housing, you need an ID. If you want to open a bank account, you need ID. There are a lot of shelters and food banks that require ID in order to provide wow. their services, usually because they're funded by the government and the government requires ID. You know, there are so I have a, a list because I'm now like the woman on the Internet who people send things to of all of the things that you need ID for that we don't think about. Because most of us just have it and have always had it. Mm. Um, but when you when you start to, hopefully after this, listening to this, all your listeners will re- recognize sort of every time they pull their ID out and are like, oh, like, I just have to pull my ID out to get a package, right? Or to, if you want to get toys for tots, you have to show ID, like all oh, of these wow. different things. Um, and it makes it impossible to restart your life, you know, not to mention needing a driver's license to get to a job in most parts of the country. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a thing that we don't recognize and partially because, look, you sound much younger than me, but I got my first driver's license more than 20 years ago before 9-11. And after 9-11, we changed all of the laws at the DMVs and we made it infinitely more difficult to get an ID. And so that's actually mm. when this gap started was 20 years ago. But that's also why we don't know about it. Because most of us who are adults and making laws and voting and whatever, we've had our IDs since before then, and we've been lucky enough, fortunate enough, not to have been in a position where we lost our houses, where we lost our jobs, where we lost everything, and then had to start all over again and realize, like, oh, it's really hard now. I actually can't do this. Kat Calvin, I already really liked you, but the fact that you think I sound that much younger than you means I now love you. Um, so let's just establish that. Uh, you're also an army brat, I see. So we, we have that in common yeah. as well. So I, I feel like there is a friendship oh, in the making here. Uh, but, but you just said a couple of things. You know, I have been through, when I was younger, we went through a process where we were unhoused. And I'm imagining, mm-hmm. okay, and I was way too young to be aware of the details, but, you know, we have a number of, of eviction moratoriums that are coming to an end. We have a number yeah. of, of of rent protections coming to an end. So there are many, many people who right now are have an ID, have an address that they are confident in. But if they are, God forbid, forced to, to be in a space where they become unhoused or housing insecure, and you no longer have an address, you might have a car, but when I have to go to the DMV and I don't actually have an address that matches my license, yeah. I don't have any address at all. That is, I mean, I'm almost stopped at the door from participating any any further in just yeah. basic vehicle, legal vehicle ownership and maintenance, which might further exacerbate uh, the, the stressors of my unhoused situation. Uh, and, and then there is the issue that, you know, if I am in a situation where I'm 
I, I, I'm not able to, to have an address. And, you know, there are a lot of people who have called up who have said, you know, or reached out to me in my, my non-radio uh, hosting life where I'm a, a civil rights and racial justice attorney. You know, if I don't have an address, how do I register to vote? Like, if I don't have, like, a physical place to live, can I still, like, if I'm supposed to go to register to vote and yeah. you're supposed to have my address on file, how do I do that? You know, I hear you. You want me to be, you know, this good citizen, and Lord knows I need to be right now because I need to be advocating for myself uh, and people who are similarly situated financially. But I can't even engage in some of the most basic expressions of democracy when I don't have access to that document, that little credit card-sized document. How did you go from being aware of this as an issue to creating this amazing organization, Spread the Vote, uh, and, and the Project ID Action Fund? What was it that made this something that was that real for you? Uh, I will tell you that. But first, really quickly, you can register to vote if you don't have an address. Yes, you yes, yes, yes. You do not need a physical address to put on your voter registration card. You need a place to mail it or... You can pick it up in the county clerk or like we have them mailed to shelters or whatever all of the time. But really important just for anyone listening, you can register to vote if you are unhoused or there are, you know, I live in Los Angeles County where they do a very good job of doing same day registration in homeless shelters so that people can vote or register or get their card and vote right there. So that is actually a thing that's, that is like one of the few things we do in this country. I'm so glad you for people to vote. I'm so glad you clarified that because sometimes I tell the first part of the story and forget to tell the last part. And the last thing we want is people <laughs> walking away thinking, "Well, Larissa said we couldn't. She said people call, but she ain't." Okay, so thank you for clarifying the answer to the question because <laughs> we do not want that loophole out there. That would have bug- bugged me all afternoon. Uh, but to the point where, so thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Now to the point where this became something that you had to take action on. How mm-hmm. did that happen for you? A lot of people see problems and don't move to take action. Why were you different? Um, that's a that's kind of a different question. I don't know because of who I was. I don't know. The way that this happened is that um, so in twenty thirteen, uh, your if your listeners listen to you, they probably know this. Uh, but the Supreme Court uh, struck down a very big part of the the Voting Rights Act. They conveniently struck down a second part this year. So thank you, SCOTUS. Um, but in a, a decision called Shelby County Beholder, um, in which they took away a bunch of voting rights protections, um, which made it possible for voter ID laws to really proliferate around the country. So before that, there'd been like a few states that have them. They were really testing it out. There were a lot of lawsuits. They were trying to figure out how this could go. Um, between 2013 and 20, the 2016 election, we went from like, you know, four-ish states uh, with voter ID laws to about 21. We're now at like 36-ish, but things are changing so quickly that it's kind of impossible to constantly keep track because they're, you know, North Carolina took it away, so they're adding whatever, but we're at well over half of the country that has voter ID laws. So it is, it's grown immensely. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I had sort of been watching this. I was working at, in sort of education and, you know, not practicing lawyer being a lawyer because 
you have more patience than I do. I'm, yeah, we're all I'm, in some form of lawyer recovery, okay? Every lawyer you know right now is in some form of lawyer recovery. We're all in recovery. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and it's like watching this and watching the Democratic Party do absolutely nothing while the Republican Party had really had a very, look, they could strategize and they had a really incredible long-term strategy for how they were going to make this happen, and they did. Um, and so the presidential election in 2016 was the first uh, national election where voter ID laws were in effect, and it was very clear um, that they had certainly impacted the presidential election. But these types of uh, suppressive laws really are successful at is suppressing the vote in local elections, um, in state elections, elections where there are smaller margins of victories, where you don't have like the electoral college, all of these things, right? And so you can really see how voter suppression impacts uh, voting at every level. Um, and, you know, I was sort of devastated as everybody that day. And then I was like, well, you know, looking around, trying to figure out what's the thing that there seems to maybe be a solution to, um, that I, you know, might help this problem. And the thing that I had been really watching was voter ID laws. And so I sort of thought, you know, to myself, well, if people just need IDs to vote, I'll just get them IDs. It sounded very easy. It's not. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I started Spread the Vote, and within months of starting it and trying to, like, get it to work and trying to help people get IDs and all these things, what I realized almost immediately was the problem that I talked about initially, that if you don't have an ID to vote, that is not your biggest problem. You don't have an ID to live. And that the thing that the people we were talking to kept saying over and over again is I can't think about voting. I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight or I, wow. I don't know how I'm feeding my children. I need a job. I need all of these things. Um, and that was when I realized like, Oh, we have a crisis on our hands that we're not talking about mm -hmm. that is keeping people in poverty. And if we don't fix that, first of all, we need to fix that for our country and for these people. But you also cannot look at someone who is saying that they need a job and to feed their kids and say like, well, that's great. But all I really care about is if you're going to vote. Mm. And so that actually is, doing... uh, I just want to interject yeah. here. That actually is mm -hmm. one of the biggest mistakes that I see a lot of people make when you are trying to get somebody engaged with a topic, um, a, a social justice topic, a political topic, but they can't eat. Their lights aren't on. Uh, their child is crying yeah. and they don't have access to health care that is going to meet the need that the child actually has. It is almost really insulting to say, well, let's talk about your vote yep. and who you're going to catch. Who are you interested in? I'm interested in my child having food. Like I'm interested in getting the lights yep. on. I'm interested in getting the mold out of my apartment building. Uh, and so Maslow's hierarchy of needs is very clear. Like if we can meet the actual needs that <laughs> right. people have, the food, the clothing, the shelter, then we talk about, you know, the political aspect of their life. But once their actual physical yep. needs are met, we can have a far more effective conversation. We can even tie the, the previous lack of those needs being met to the political conversation in, in a way to help convert yep. them into even more powerful advocates. But guys, we got a, you know, cart and then horse, right? We got our horse and then cart, exactly. whatever the order exactly. is, you need to make sure yeah. uh, that we are doing this in a way that makes logistical sense. And I love the fact that you started this project thinking, well, let's give everyone an idea. And, and I actually have a question about that in a second. Uh, and then realize, okay, wait, even if I got you that voting ID, you don't have any food tonight. 
you don't have a place to sleep tonight. And that is a bigger a bigger issue uh, than is this election that might be several months away. Uh, the idea that um, the idea that if, if there are these rules that say everyone has to have these ideas. I remember when voter ID began to be a thing, like right after Shelby County. And it was weird because Shelby County Beholder mm-hmm. came down and it was like the day before Shelby County Beholder came down, states were trying to do a whole bunch of, of discriminatory voter suppression activities. But we had Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. So they would have to send those proposed changes to their voting uh, schemes to the Justice Department through that preclearance process. Yep. The, and so the Justice Department was like, heck no, no way, no way in hell, this can't happen. No, 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 you get a no, you get a no, you get a no. Shelby County Beholder comes down. It was like the next day that those same plans that states had submitted to the Justice Department for approval through preclearance that they could not get because the plans were so awful. It was like the, the ink hadn't even dried on the SCOTUS opinion. And Texas it was, was literally like. literally Texas and Alabama yeah. within two hours. Oh, my God. It's it's so bad and it's yeah. so bad. But a lot of people then were saying, you know, we shouldn't talk about giving people IDs because we should resist the fact that an ID yeah. is necessary. How did you make the logical leap that says, okay, we know that you should not need an ID, but we actually do. That is now the law. So we're going to get the IDs. We're not going to have the philosophical conversation about shoulda, coulda, woulda. We're actually going to do the thing and fill in that gap. What was navigating that conversation like for you? Yeah, I did. I mean, there's a big difference between being very privileged and white and having this sort of ethereal conversation about what we should and should not do and being like a black woman on the ground being like, people need ideas when they get some ideas. Like, this is sort of where we come in very Trust often. Black women. And I had a lot of people say that. And a lot of people say they weren't going to donate to me or whatever. And, you know, all of these big voting rights organizations having all of these conversations and I would get on these coalition calls where they would say, well, we can't help people get this because we have to fight it here, blah, blah, blah. And I would honestly just hang up and be like, mm, no, I'm just going to get people ideas. Like, first of all, we're not beating these laws in court. The mm. Only one state has ever beat the laws in court. In Texas, the federal courts struck down voter ID laws five times. They still have them, right? Like, we're not winning in the courts. We're not winning in the legislature. And I don't believe there's a real belief um, in the voting rights community that if you don't talk about something, then people won't realize it's happening. <laughs> so, mm. they, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of different aspects where, like, well, you can't talk to people about voter ID because then they'll know that voter ID laws exist. It's like, well, <laughs> they either know where they need to go, you know, or, you know, you can't talk about, um, you know, there was a while when nobody wanted to talk about election security because they didn't want people to know that there might be a threat to election security. It's like, well, then Putin came along, right? Like there's this real belief that we have to just hide things and God forbid you talk about it. Uh, and I just don't have that. And I don't have the patience for it, but also I don't have the boss. So I'm not interested in what you don't think we should do. I'm just going to do it. And, you know, there was no, we're the only national idea cleaning organization in the country. I started in my bedroom, like I'm just a random girl. And I would talk to all of these major organizations that would either say, oh my God, don't do this. We're terrified. Or it would say, we've been trying to get someone to do this forever and nobody will. And partially it's because it's really hard and expensive, but partially it's also because it is, we're actually practically helping poor black and brown people get a thing that empowers them in more way than one, which is not actually something that anybody from any party wants. 
And mm. so there's a lot of pushback um, and there was a lot of fear. And I've been through so many you know, conversations of very big, wealthy voting rights groups where they have talked about all the things that you can't talk about. Here's how we get around this language. It's like, no, you could just be honest with people. They know what's going on. Mm, I love that. And, you know, sometimes there's I have this sweatshirt that says hashtag trust black women. And I think what you just yeah. said was a real embodiment <laughs> of that. Like, OK, you want to have this theoretical conversation? We could do that at coffee. What I'm going to do right now is go make sure I get this family their voter IDs. And like, so there is just a there's a theoretical element to, you know, struggle for justice. But then there's just the practical. So what we're going to do is make sure that people have food to eat. Like we, we can talk about whether or not and the food know. chain and supply chain, but we're going to make sure that you can have something to eat today. Right. Just need it today. And, you know, now it's been several years. We've gotten thousands and thousands of IDs. We have very high voter turnout rates because we work very hard wow. on all of that. And so now people are like, oh, this is great. And there's actually one big national organization that tried to copy our work and then they failed because they didn't actually talk to us about how we do it. But like now all of a sudden, you know, everybody is like, oh, all the people who, who sort of poo-pooed it and were like, well, you can't do this. Now they all think it's wonderful. But it's like, well, you just had to start. <laughs> right. To well, sometimes you got to sometimes you got to be the vision before people can actually see it. Not everyone has the vision of vision. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that it is extremely expensive. Let's talk about the costs and the hurdles. Uh, we, we know that, the, you know, the social economics, if you are obviously if you are unhoused, that presents its own situation. But uh, there are a number of other hurdles and costs that are uh, affiliated with this process. I'm reminded of a story I read uh, when the first round of voter ID legislation started coming around and it was an an Older black women, easily in her late 90s, early hundreds, uh, who had no birth certificate, had always had voted previously, but could not prove uh, where she had been born, did not have some of those those documents that were si- yep. considered sort of foundational. And whereas before she could vote because she was, you know, could use the county register, so on and so forth. Once those laws went into place, uh, she was not able yep. to to do so. Talk to us about the the hurdles that come along with actually securing the ID, even if they have someone like yourself and your organization working alongside them? Oh, well, I mean, in a situation like that, so there are a lot of uh, elderly people who either were black and born in Jim Crow towns where black babies were not getting birth certificates or who were born, you know, in rural areas or in farms or whatever and don't have birth certificates. And you're right, that wasn't a problem until 20 years ago. Uh, and so now you know, we actually have to go through this whole process of like FOIAing the social security office to get this like document that basically proves that they're alive um, mm. in order to take that to the DMV. And that only works for people who were born before a certain time, et cetera. So a lot of it is figuring out, you know, what is the, the best way for us to get, um, you know, proof of birth or to Fine, you know, birth certificates over 50% is about 57% of our clients don't have birth certificates, which makes sense. It's a miracle to me that any of us keep that piece of paper that we got when we were born for our entire lives. Um, <laughs> and guard and, it religiously. Know, if you go to vital records, <laughs> right. It's, who can do that? Um, and so if you go to vital records and ask for a birth certificate in most states, they will ask for your ID, which is the problem. Um, so we have to use this online method that uses this sort of complicated alternative way of verifying identity. But the birth certificates on that method cost between 50 and $90 each. Whoa. Which most of us do. I mean, I work for a nonprofit. I don't have $50. But like most unhoused people definitely don't, right? Um, and then there's complications along with that. So we are helping right now a woman who lives on Skid Row, which is half of Los Angeles, um, here in LA. Mm. And she needs a birth certificate 
we went through the online portion, but because of the state she needs the birth certificate from, she also needs to get an affidavit notarized. So we have to, yeah, so we have to, luckily my mom is one of our LA volunteers. So my mom has to drive down to Skid Row and pick her up and take her to a place to pay for something to get notarized to then mail this document to a different state after we've already paid the $80 or whatever it is so that she can then get her birth certificate sent to her. Uh, Then we have to have multiple proofs of residency, which again are difficult if you are unhoused. And so depending on the state it's in, we have multiple different ways that we can figure that out. You know, if you need a social security card, you know, God help you. Um, Mm. Right now the social security office is just telling everybody, just mail your ID to Texas, which is the worst idea anyone's ever had. You know, so then we have to go through this whole process of getting that. Then you have to get to the DMV. More than 10 million Americans live more than 10 miles from a DMV. Are you Even serious? Even if you live next door to one. You... Yes. Oh, yes. And that's See, not... I, I'm a spoiled New Yorker. Like, I, it's a train right away in multiple boroughs. That's why we have to get outside of our, our, our bubble sometimes because we forget how the rest of the yes. world is living. Although that's New insane. York is the hardest place in the country to get an ID. New York Damn is... It. It, like I have nightmares about getting an ID in New York. It's so it's the absolute worst place in the country to get an ID, and like the second worst to get a birth certificate. Um, but DMVs, wow. even if you live close to one, you have to like go there. You have to stand in line. You have to deal with people at the DMV who I really want them to start a union because they deserve to be happier employees than they are. And you have to pay for your ID, which depending on a variety of factors, which are, you know, like Lily Wonka's mystery, can be anywhere from zero sometimes, usually five, 10, 15, 20, sometimes $25. In some states, like in Florida, the DMV is called the tax collector, and the tax collector is an elective office, and they sort of just decide on their own what the fees are. Like, it's, it's, mm. it's incredibly random, and you have to pay for all of that. So, you know, the amount of time, the bureaucracy, the paperwork, and the money, that is all stuff that's difficult for most of us to figure out. I know plenty of people who have great jobs and plenty of money whose IDs are con- like expire every time that they expire because the idea of just having to go to the DMV to renew is a headache, and they all forget you can do it online. You can renew your ID online, folks. Please do if you can. Um, you know, but it, it's so complicated that we, you know, we've had clients who haven't had ID for 20, 30, 40 years. Another thing we do is that we block the ability to get um, IDs and driver's licenses based on what kinds of fines and fees you may have from jail or prison. Or, you know, if you're homeless and you fall asleep on a bench and a cop a, can throw away all of your things, which they do all of the time. We constantly have people who lost all of their documents because the cops threw them away or set them on fire. And then they'll give you a ticket for sleeping on a park bench, and then that blocks your ability to get an ID until you pay that ticket. Mm. Wow. So and we make it impossible, and we put so many barriers in front of people, and then we wonder why they don't have one. And I'm still mad that you said New York is the, one of the hardest places to get an ID. Now I got to go do some research because oh I'm like, well, why is this? Like, why is that the case? Because New York loves finding the most complicated ways to do the most simple things. No other state has the New York point system. And the point system is absurd. Mm. And it's, oh, I, mean, I, I, I could go on forever, but we, we launched in New York earlier this year and going through the process of figuring out how to get people IDs in New York. Like I know wealthy white men in New York who do not have an ID because they can't get one because it's so oh hard. God. 
Well, okay, yeah. off mic, I'm going to have to talk with you about that word because the law center I lead is in New York City. <laughs> uh, we are a racial justice law center, and now you have just raised an issue for me to address with my team. So uh, before you get off this call, I want to make sure that we collaborate in some way because uh, I want to find out who is in the office uh, for Spread the Vote for New York because that, that may be an advocacy point that we, that we want to uplift. So that that's a sidebar. Uh, the rest of y'all just got to hear that for a bonus. All right, so Kat, when we are at the process of, of thinking about all the complications and we were thinking about all the many ways that this process is intentionally overly complex. How can we all just get an ID at birth like we do with a social security number? Couldn't they just give, I mean, maybe the photo would have to be updated every once in a while, but why, why isn't there an, if we're going to have voter ID rules, why not have a, a national voter ID scheme where everyone, just like with your social security card, you get an ID at birth and, and you, there you are on the pathway or, or maybe even at 18, you're mailed an ID, uh, for, for voting purposes that has been cleared by the federal government. That should be a floor level of acceptability, uh, uh for every state. How come we don't have that? I mean, that's like asking, why don't we have universal health care? Because it's Damn America. It. In, every other, <laughs> in every other developed country, in most developing countries, that's exactly what happens. You turn 13, 14, 15, whatever, you go to the local office, maybe you pay a couple euros, maybe not. You don't have to show a bunch of paperwork because every government, the government knows exactly where you are and what you're doing, what you're having for breakfast right now. And they give you an ID. And then you lose it, you go back. They give you another one. It's very simple. It's, talking to my friends in other countries and explaining them, to them what I do, it's like Abbott and Costello. They don't understand it. It's like they cannot <laughs> conceive of what my job is because this is a problem we only have in America. And eventually I just give up. I once, like, I was talking to someone in Germany. I finally was like, you know what? Forget about it. I, I deliver pizza. Like, I can't explain this to you because they don't get it because it's not a problem anywhere else. And we could, you know, I think one of the great things that came out of COVID is that people are finally understanding that the government can do anything it wants to do, right? They figured out who we are, how much money we make, how many kids we have, and what our bank accounts were, and then decided how much money to give us and then magically just deposited it into our bank accounts and sent us a check. We didn't do anything. We didn't fill out any paperwork. They just knew. They, they uh, ended 50% of child poverty. They could have easily, like that tells you, they could have just completely wiped out child poverty if they wanted, mm. but they thought 50% was a good number because as long as only half of the children in America are starting, then <laughs> who cares, right? Like we now understand, I think there are a lot of people who thought, I don't know, that the economy is real, which it's not folks. So get over that. Um, you know, and that like, oh, well, there's all these rules and there's these laws that's so hard for the government to do things or whatever. And then COVID happened and people realized like, oh, they can do anything they want, any time they want. They could mm. just give us all an idea. They know where we are. They know what we're doing. They know that to give me just enough money for three and a half cheap bottles of wine for my stimulus, but to give my friend with a kid, like a new Maserati. I'm very angry at people with kids because they got a lot more money than I did. But, you know, like <laughs> there are, you know, they know how to do all of that. This is not a thing that's difficult. It's a thing that would be much cheaper because the amount of money that all of our state and local and federal governments spend on the cost of homelessness, the cost of, uh, you know, of incarceration, the cost of all of these different things that add up just because people can't get jobs or housing because they don't have IDs. It would be cheaper, faster, easier, safer if we just gave everyone an ID. But this is a country where we believe that you have to earn the right to live. 
And so we cannot give you anything that would make it easier for you to live, even if it would be better for everyone in the country, because you have to earn the right to live. You have to earn the right to be able to break your leg without going bankrupt. You have to earn the right to have a place to live and to have food and to have an ID. Like we're never going to help people in this country live an easier life, even if it's better for everyone, because America is a place where you have to earn everything. You have to earn every breath you take. That really is a sobering reminder of just how important this type of work is. And and when people will say, you could make so much more money if you just stayed in corporate law. Yeah, uh-huh, that's true. But the world sucks. <laughs> we need people. Who, it doesn't suck. It's suckable. And we need people to make it less sucky. Uh, and quite frankly, that is the work of people who care uh, and people who see a problem and then have the wherewithal to actually think about solutions and then implement those solutions. And I think that is exactly what you have done with spread the vote. How can people follow you and support this work? Uh, you mentioned that you had now branched into uh, New York. Uh, I know our time together is super short and I'm so grateful for how generous you have been with us this morning, but how do people follow you and stay connected to spread the vote and the other amazing projects that you have going on? So uh, you can go to spreadthevote.org. Um, obviously, please donate. Um, but also you can volunteer this little tab there fill out a little thing. We'd love to have you volunteer. Uh, we also have a political arm, a 501c4 called Project ID. We are working to change state legislation so that I don't have to get ID for each individual person in the country who needs one because we can get states to change legislation to make it easier for everybody. And so um, if you're interested in the political side of that work, you can go to projectid.org um, and also volunteer or donate there. All of our social links are on the websites as well. So please subscribe, donate, volunteer, get involved. I love it. Not only are you doing the work of resolving the immediate issue, but that 501c4 is helping to do the work of eradicating the issue from being an issue. Kat, Calvin, you are always welcome. It has been a real pleasure to have you here. <laughs> uh, I have really enjoyed this conversation and your energy for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. 